Welcome to the Subscription League, a podcast by Purchase League. Listen to what's working in subscription apps. In each episode, we invite leaders of the app industry who are mastering the subscription model for mobile apps. To learn more about subscriptions, head to subscriptionleague.com. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. Today, we have Eric Crowley on the show. He's a technology investment banker at GP Bellhound. That will make him the first investor we have on the show. And something that is amazing to me is that he has done over 25 transactions valued at $3 billion. But the most important part is that he focuses on consumer subscription software, and that's why he's invited today. Welcome, Eric, to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on today. Is there anything else you want to add to the intro that I just did? No, thanks, Oliver and Nicholas, for having me. Thrilled to be here. Really impressed by what you guys are building. And then maybe just a, a quick note here at GP Bullhound, we're an, an international investment bank headquartered out of London with 11 offices around the globe, over 200 bankers and investors on the team. And we specialize in consumer subscription software. So I'm really excited to be here to talk about one of my favorite subjects. Awesome. So as I was doing research on you before the interview, I came across a post on LinkedIn that you did where you mentioned the consumer subscription flywheel. Can you tell us what that is? Yes, this is something we developed back in 2018 as we were really just putting together our thesis around consumer subscription software. And so as you guys know, SaaS has been around, so B2B software has been around for quite some time. And when we looked at consumer subscription software businesses, we noticed that they had some similar characteristics, but also some very different characteristics. And the problem was that people had a People, both investors as well as GP Bullhound and entrepreneurs, they had trouble evaluating what made a good CSS business because there's so many different components. And so what we wanted to do was try to create a methodology for looking at CSS businesses and, and evaluating their potential. And so what we did here at GP Bullhound is we decided like what would be the North Star for our consumer subscription businesses? If you're an entrepreneur, a builder, an investor, What's the one thing you should focus on? And, and ultimately, we decided that recurring revenue was the easiest thing to measure. It's monetizable, right? It's very different from like a user base or engagement. It's, it's truly a measure of how much people love your product because they continue to pay for it. And so what we did then is decide what are the components of that recurring revenue? Like how do you ultimately deserve recurring revenue from a consumer? Right. And that's a key thing, right? You're earning that subscription every month, every year from that consumer by delivering value. And so we then effectively created six components of recurring revenue. The first one was premium content, right? It's something that they can't find for free on YouTube. It, it's got to be something pretty unique. The second piece was proprietary data, right? And that comes in a host of different formats and types. And we can talk about that in detail later. The third piece was how do you acquire users, right? Are you posting on Facebook? Are they coming to you organically? Are they finding you through Google billboards? Like how, what's your strategy there? And, and businesses have been doing some fascinating stuff here around generating content and leveraging user-generated content to drive that customer acquisition. Second one is how do you charge? How do you price your product? Is it two bucks a year, $29.99? That's an extremely important and in my opinion, under uh, discussed topic in CSS uh, or consumer subscription software. The second to last one is, are you going after a niche user base or a, a large TAM? And then the final piece and, and one of the most important pieces is your churn and retention, right? So how long do people stay on the platform? How quickly do they churn? All results in recurring revenue. That's the the CSS flywheel that we that we developed a few years ago and, and still kind of live by today. Awesome. It sounds like a very complete picture. And that leads me in my next question because you're you're the first investor that we have on the show. This next question is really for my own benefit. What do you guys look for when deciding whether or not to invest in a company, especially in this pandemic slash 
post-pandemic time? It's a really good question. And I think people's views on the space continue to evolve. You know, there's the pre-pandemic view, there's the during the pandemic view. And, and I hope to God we're kind of coming to the post-pandemic view. And I think GP Bullhound, what we when we look at when we decide to invest is, is we are venture investors, right? So we are not investing in in lifestyle businesses that, you know, can kind of grow and, and produce, you know, five to 10% cash flow a year. We're looking for home runs. That is kind of what we hope for. And so what we're looking for is, is I almost call them like paradigm shifting consumer subscription businesses. So business that's producing something so unique that it creates a moat around it that's really hard to copy. And so a really good example is Discord, right? So Discord, if you think about it and you step back, Discord is a marketplace, right? There's consumers of information and there's producers of information. And that's very similar to an eBay or, or an Amazon. And what we found and what we really liked about that business, right, is they had generated both buyers and sellers of information on that platform. And in exchange, instead of charging people to buy and sell information, right, they were asking for a subscription. And that subscription gave you premium features. And it was pretty clear to us, you know, what would be premium and what would be free. And we felt that that was a a really good business. And so we found some of the same characteristics in in Whoop and Fishbrain and in Spotify. And so, you know, now as we kind of go through, like, what do things look like post-pandemic? We're really looking for, once again, like, businesses that we think can survive and thrive across almost any environment. Okay. The second question, when you were speaking about the CSS flywheel, you mentioned a lot of things related to content, to revenue, and so on. You didn't mention at all UX. And everybody is crazy about building the product, creating a strong product market fit, and so on. Yeah, you didn't mention it. So does it mean that the product is not uh, as important from an investor standpoint? Or can you elaborate on this? I would say UX and UI is truly ingrained in a couple different parts of this. One is premium content, right? So this app and the service, they have to look like they're worth money. If you put something together and it doesn't look slick, it doesn't look smooth, it doesn't look high quality, why would anyone pay for it? So I think UX is usually is extremely important. And then at the same time, right, if you think about UX, UI, the goal is to get someone to do something. That could be subscribe, it could be ingest data, input data, you know, take a photo, edit a photo, track a route to make sure that's easily understood and make sure people could quickly say, hey, if I want to do X, right? If I'm on X and I want someone to go out there and just understand a hunting route, they have to make it extremely easy for someone who has not used the app before to map that, right? If you're a Calimoto, right, and you're trying to encourage people to, to record your motorcycle ride, it needs to be one or two clicks away from someone getting started. Otherwise, people get frustrated, they close the app, they take a phone call, they reply to a text, and you've lost that user. So I, I think UI UX is extremely important. It's just kind of embedded within some of these other parts of the CSS flywheel is the way we think about it. It's almost like it's a table stake in a way. I think that's right. I think it's, you know, there's thousands of apps in the app store. So people have plenty of choices, but they only review the ones they truly love. And so you have to make a product that is easy to understand, intuitive, and feels like a premium experience to justify a subscription. Interesting. And so if you mentioned kind of that moat that they're, you know, the startup should try to build in a little bit, is the proprietary data or proprietary content, is that kind of what that feeds into building that moat essentially? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, all businesses need a moat, right? It, you know, if you're McDonald's, you need a moat, right? Could, which could be your location, could be your product, your brand. So all businesses need one. And in, in CSS, because you're delivering a product, effectively a, a piece of data or a service, that's it's software. So it's effectively infinitely scalable. You have to have something that's unique to you to justify someone paying for it. And so, you know, the moats here in CSS could be a couple different things, right? One is premium content. Right. So Netflix, for example, to use a CSS business that everyone knows, has premium content that is, you know, Netflix produced shows. And that keeps people coming back to the platform. You know, all trails or Kamut, Strava, 
right? They produce really fascinating routes that are only available on those platforms. And that's for people to run, hike, gravel bike across the globe. And so people then leave reviews and that's on those platforms. And that becomes proprietary data and makes that platform that much more valuable, which creates a moat. Yeah, and one thing that I ran across a couple of years back, I think, was Strava or one of those apps where you you keep track of where you go running and all that kind of stuff. They were actually selling the aggregated data of where people would run to cities so that then cities could improve their infrastructure for people that are running or biking or whatever. And I found that fascinating. Yeah, I think, I think there's definitely some privacy issues in there. But overall, if consumers are saying, hey, my data is being used to benefit something that I care about, people are generally okay with that if I think things are very crystal clear on what that benefit is going to. And if you said, hey, my running routes will be used to improve sidewalks in my hometown in Paris, I think that's a great benefit for me. And I would have no problem with that being shared. When we talked a few weeks back, one of the things you mentioned that GP Bohan was doing was that you want to help founders transition from founder back to venture back companies. Can you tell us more about that transition and what it means for founders? You know, I kind of think of these transitions, they could be from founder to venture back. They could be from, you know, bootstrap to private equity owned. They could be, you know, there's a bunch of different graduation moments for a business where it goes from one stage to the next. At GP Bohan, we sit in a really interesting place place. Effectively, we have two hats that we wear. And so 75% of my time, I wear a hat as an advisor. And so we're helping companies raise capital or sell themselves. And then 25% of the time, I'm sitting as an investor hat and helping you know GP Bullhound invest our capital and our investors' capital into these businesses. And so to use the time when I'm an advisor, right, we'll meet a lot of founders and they are you know building some really fantastic stuff. And then what we have to do is help them think about their business like a third party will think about it, right? So as you guys are founders and you're building a business, right? The business is your baby, right? It's the best baby of all time. It's, you know, unstoppable. It'll be fantastic. It'll easily be president of, you know, the country at one point. The problem is when you bring a, th- you know, it's called 10 third parties to look at that baby, they all have very different views of your business. And so what's important to make sure is, is we kind of sit as advisors and kind of act as that third party to provide our view on how to, to best position the baby's, you know, the business's characteristics to be, you know, to generate the maximum amount of attention from buyers. What that means is that, you know, a business has to be scalable, right? It has to have processes and procedures, right? Its data has to be organized, right? It has to be transparent and easily understood. And so, you know, as a founder, a lot of times, you know where everything is, right? You can look at a dashboard and know exactly what's happening on every day. The problem is if you're showing that to a third party, that may not be true. And so it's our job to kind of help prepare these businesses for graduations, we like to think about it. And that usually takes us a couple months, but then generally we get pretty good results. And is that a a transition that's pretty tough for founders or is that something that goes pretty smoothly, just like, you know, it's a training and then you graduate at the end, as you said, and everything's rosy. Every person that graduates, it's a different experience for each business. Some founders were, you know, they are very excited to work with private equity or strategic and kind of turn over the the day-to-day operations of their business to someone else. Others have a much harder time letting go. And so I think that's actually something we spend a lot of time on with our clients is asking this question, which is, what do you want? And, and it can't just be a check, right? If it's just a check, that's relatively easy. But in most cases, right, this is an investment of time, of energy. And so it's just getting cash for that at the end of the day is usually not the optimal outcome, right? Most people want to see their business to go on and thrive. And so we spend time thinking with these people, thinking with our clients about what are the characteristics of a buyer or an investor that will help it thrive and not just, you know, put cash in the bank. And the pandemic is slowing down, as we said earlier, and hopefully they'll see that way. What does that mean for the subscription app business in your views? It's all across the board, and it really depends on what's the solution that consumer subscription businesses are providing to the user. 
right? So for example, right, you have businesses that are subscription apps that are more utility focused, right? So helping you do something in the real world, you know, having the pandemic where now you're getting out and about and doing things, this business actually becomes more useful, right? Now, if you're a business that's focused on you know, providing a, you know, a Netflix like business to use them again, right? If you guys saw their stock traded down substantially because their growth slowed down. And that's because the challenge now post pandemic is the consumer attention or the competition for the consumer attention. There's only 24 hours a day where consumers can use a product. And in reality, there's usually, you know, 16 hours a day when they're not sleeping. If that's the case, right, and the pandemic's not ending, people can go back to bars, they can go to concerts, they can go to sporting events. And so the challenge right now is that the consumer's attention is going to be shifted from just sitting at home all the time to now going back to the real world. You know, now you have this really fantastic opportunity to provide, to find unique ways to acquire customers. During the pandemic, you have to effectively go through Facebook, Instagram, you know, Snapchat to market to those consumers because that was the only way to get a hold of them, right? They weren't going out and doing anything, right? They weren't sharing information with friends, real life activities. And now that's changing. And so like a business like RV Life, right? That's having people jump in their RVs and travel around the world, right? Now they're doing much, much better post-pandemic because people are actually out and about, they're traveling, they're interacting, they're talking about their experiences. So I actually think this is a really good opportunity for consumer subscription businesses to kind of break free of the the Facebook, the Instagram marketing funnels and and really think of creative ways to engage that consumer. Do you have an example of a creative ways that you've seen recently? Uh, a really cool one is a business called Play On. And so I don't know if you guys are familiar, but here in the US, high school sports are, are very popular. And so what PlayOn did is they, and there's actually another company called Baller. What they do is they provide cameras to, to film youth sports. And so, you know, if you think about it as a parent, you're, you're quite busy. You can't always make it to your son's baseball game or your daughter's gymnastics game. And what PlayOn and Baller TV do is they effectively film that for you, right? So they'll pay someone to go out there and film that game. And then in exchange for a subscription, very similar to Netflix or, or Spotify, you can watch your son and daughter's game on your phone, on your TV, on your laptop. You can record it. All that's done for you. And the way they monetize, right, is they create these partnerships with the schools or the leagues. And the schools and the leagues effectively promote the business offerings to the parents. So instead of, you know, play on or baller TV having to go out there and, and market to parents on Facebook, which is really, really hard. Effectively, the parents can get flyer from the school. They can get an email from the coach and say, hey, if you can't make the game, you can watch your son and daughter on these channels. So that's a really interesting way to, to go out there and say, hey, here's how you, here's how you can find this service without having to do a ton of marketing. That's one of my favorites. You know, another one that I think is is really cool is Mubi. And Mubi is a film business, very similar to Netflix, but it's focused on what I would call high-end boutique films. So there's not going to be a Jerry Bruckheimer film on there with explosions, you know, every five minutes. It's some of the films that will appear at Cannes. You know, they, they really focus on the classics. And the way they find users is through chat rooms and websites about films. So they really target the cinephile, someone who wants to talk about films with, with like-minded individuals. And then they market to those people on channels that they own, which is these are these community boards, these messaging boards that then direct people towards movie. So it's a really holistic and synergistic offering that they've provided, not just content, but the place to discuss that content. For the play on app, I can definitely see some grandparents that would love that subscription. It's extremely popular. They just sold to KKR for north of $800 million. So we're really excited about that business. We, we've worked with them in the past and, and think the team's great. In a lot of technology market, we've seen a, a winner-take-all situation where one big player kind of owns the market, either by buying out their competitors or just you know out, outsizing them, essentially. 
Do you think that's a trend that's going to be continuing with consumer subscription software or is that going to change? It's a really great question. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that. I'll kind of give two answers. Consumer subscription software is not different from any other any other industry, right? Where generally economies of scale matter and people want to do something that others are doing or use products that others are using. And so there will be, you know, what I call like the champions in each space, right? So if you use a, a category that everyone knows, Netflix, Disney Plus, right? Those are big players in the streaming consumer subscription space. The fascinating thing though, right, is Apple's in there. You have Crunchyroll, you have Crackle, you've got Amazon Prime, you've got Sling, you've got Twitch. So all these businesses, right, are effectively targeting a unique demographic, either with, you know, they're targeting something the individual really cares about. For example, of Twitch, like maybe gaming, or they're providing content that is not available somewhere else. And so the great thing about CSS, in my opinion, right, is consumer is so huge. We're talking literally billions of consumers across the world. Right. A niche in consumer may be 10 million people globally. And, and because of how, you know, some of the great marketing tools that are out there and the ability for people to find each other using the internet globally and mobile phones, you can easily accumulate a passionate group of 10 million users. Well, 10 million users times, you know, 30 bucks a year is, is quite a good business. And so I think that's what gets me really excited about this space is, is you can build phenomenal businesses for the users you're passionate about. You don't care about advertising revenue or marketing or you know views. You care about providing a great service to great users. You can have businesses that exist even in what looks like very competitive categories. I like this idea of having smaller niches where you can be the king of that smaller niches that is still, as you said, pretty big. That's right. Yeah. And so you guys have been focusing on consumer subscription app. What are some of the best success stories that you've had in your portfolio and what did they do really well to succeed? It's a really fun space for us to be in right now because some of these businesses are just doing phenomenally well. A business we just had that that was both an investment banking client as well as an investment for us was a company called Busu. It's a language learning business based in Spain, helping individuals learn learn a new language using their phone. And so we just sold that business to Chegg. It was a phenomenal outcome for the founders as well as GP Bullhound. Another one that I like that we're a big fan of is this business called Alltrails. And that was a business we helped sell to Spectrum Equity, so we're not an investor there. But they've just done phenomenally well. It's been great watching that business succeed. And I think we'll have some of the same dynamics exist with a company called Pink Bike and Real VNC, which is Pink Bike is a mountain biking business. Real VNC is a VPN provider. And then in our portfolio, I think we're really excited about, you know, Discord, I think Revolut, which is a fintech business that also offers some subscription offerings. I think that'll be a very successful business long term. And so we're, we're always looking for the next thing. We absolutely have capital to deploy. You know, people are kind of freaking out about a downturn. Here at GPB, we are, we're very optimistic about the future. I've never seen in my research, I've never seen an industry that has gone more analog after going digital. Once people provide a great digital product in, a, in any sort of activity in the consumer world, it generally has a tendency to stay digital. And so, you know, we actively encourage founders, entrepreneurs, builders to reach out to us because we think there'll be a lot more successes to come. That's part of this industry is still around the corner. You just mentioned like people going from digital and then back to analog. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I think a lot of people question, right, are some of these apps, you know, some of these consumer subscription businesses, do they have a need to exist, right? A perfect example is digital fitness, right? So a lot of people during the pandemic, right, switch to digital fitness through their phone, their TV versus going to a gym. So effectively, fitness for the first time has digitalized. And a lot of those, you know, a lot of products, hardware came along with that. So think like Mirror, think Peloton. And so the fascinating thing is now people have had a chance to experience exercising on a smart machine versus, you know, dumb machines. More and more smart machines are coming. You know, digital weights are coming, you know, digital workout groups. 
even though people will go back to the gym, right? Personally, I'm going back to the gym as much as I possibly can. I will absolutely continue to use digital fitness products to either track my workouts. I will use, you know, a business called FitOn, which has like workouts for when I'm on the road, when I'm traveling. So I can still maintain probably what I would call like a, both an analog and a digital fitness life. It totally makes sense to marry the two sides that we've had over the last few years. It just provides a better experience to the user. You mentioned Dunturn previously. I was curious to have you elaborate a little bit more on this. Is the, the bar to raise capital higher from your perspective? Do funders, should they worry a little bit because they, they need to reach specific KPIs in order to go to the next level? It's a very topical question right now. I think there's a lot of doom and gloom out there right now. Like if you look at the stock market, it's down, you know, 20%, depending on which index you're looking at from the beginning of the year. But I think founders need to step back and remember that that raising capital at any time is hard, right? Even in the best times, it's you're going to take 100 no's to get to one yes. I think what they have to remember now is, is even though numbers are trending down, right? Q1 was down from Q4. Q1 2022, if you look at the latest Craft Ventures report, was actually up from Q1 2021. So while it feels like we're, you know, we're falling off a cliff, you have to remember if you look at venture investing and the dollars invested over the last, you know, 10 years every quarter, 2021 was an absolute peak. And so maybe we're not at the absolute summit of the venture capital mountain right now, or the absolute peak, but we're absolutely still at the top. And so the question is, dollars are still going out there into companies, but people are definitely being more discerning, but they still do have dollars to invest. And so if the way I think about it, if you're building a great company, great companies get founded. And so if you're a founder, you really have to make sure that you are building a, a great company, but also that you're describing your opportunity and your your mission correctly. And so that's that's something we're always happy to chat about. I'm still pretty bullish. I think, you know, now the world can change in the next, you know, two to three months for sure. But if you still look at dollars being invested, it's still quite high. The last question I had for you is just as we were preparing for the meeting, I saw in your notes that you guys are hosting a conference in October 2022 around consumer subscription software. Can can you tell us more about it? Make us want to come. <laughs> great, great question. Well, so first off, I hope everyone is going back to in real life, in-person events in 2022. I've definitely been doing that. And I cannot tell you how great it feels to talk to people in person about subjects you're passionate about. GP Bullhound, we're, we've done quite a few events in Europe and we have done a few events here in the US, but not as many. And so We've been just meeting phenomenal people in the CSS space. And we started doing some dinners a few years ago where we invite, you know, 20 CEOs to a dinner and sit down and have great food and wine and talk about the industry, talk about the challenges, talk about the opportunities, talk about different ways to acquire customers. It's Maybe it's a very nerdy dinner, but but I have a lot of fun with it. <laughs> and so we've begun to request for more and more people to attend. And what we decided to do is let's create a conference focused on CSS. It's going to be invite only. The plan is it for it to be here in the US in late October. We'll be, we're firming up a location now and then we'll be sending out invites. And the goal is this not to be a conference where, you know, there's four people in suits and they sit up on a stage and then 10 people, you know, 50 people are in the audience, you know, scrolling their phones on Twitter, barely listening. GP Bullhound events, right? We, we try to make these as interactive as possible. So instead of large groups listening to small numbers of people, we want it to be small groups all talking among themselves. And so we'll do breakout rooms. We'll have, hey, if you want to talk about customer acquisition on Facebook, come to this room. I'll have a moderator and then everyone else will kind of be sharing their stories. Hey, if you want to talk about expanding internationally and, and transitioning languages and cultures, let's come over and talk to this business that that, that did that, that entrepreneur, that business owner will be the moderator. And what, what it's not going to be, right, is, is a bunch of vendors, people holding up signs, having you come over and look at stuff, right? Our, our goal is just to be interactive, fun, and educational. And the goal is to keep it pretty small to start. You know, I think we'll invite, you know, probably just under 100 people and, you know, hope 50 to 100 come. 
you know, be here in the US, we're targeting San Francisco or Austin. And if you're interested, shoot me a note, uh, and I'm happy to talk about it and then see if we can get people an invite. It would be awesome. And it might even be a great place to do some interviews. Uh, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for all those answers. It was really nice to have our first investor on the show and get all your perspectives. So I really want to thank you. Those were some really awesome answers. Thanks for coming today. No, thanks, guys. And have any of your guests feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, email. I'm pretty active on all those platforms. Awesome. And actually, one last one last question I lied. If people want to learn more about GP Bellhound, where where should they go? Yeah, so we, we do have a we do have a website. We are a technology investment bank. So if you just go to gpbullhound.com, it's g George Paul Bullhound.com. And then you can actually download all our research there for free. If you search for the consumer subscription one, you'll find that. We do have tons of events, both in Europe as well as in the US, just to get entrepreneurs and investors together. So feel free to sign up. And then obviously we're you know on all the other channels. I think we actually even have a TikTok these days, but I am not a user. Awesome. Well, thanks again. On behalf of the Purchasely team, thank you for listening to the Subscription League podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or other audio platform. To find out more about Purchasely and how we can improve your subscription business, visit Purchasely.com. Please hit subscribe in your podcast player and don't miss any future episodes. You can also listen to previous episodes at SubscriptionLeague.com. See you soon!